We're going to continue today talking about the fact that Jesus has already provided victory for you in every arena of your life. If you're in a battle right now, you have already been given the victory. The battle is not yours, even though it seems like it is. It's not yours, it's his. The Bible's very clear that the victory's yours. So look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says this, For whom he foreknew. Do you know how many people he foreknew? Every human being who would ever live. For whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate. This Greek word means he preplanned something for those that he knew beforehand, which was everyone, every human being who would ever live. It says he, has a, he pre-planned something for them. This was the plan, to, for them to be conformed, that means fashioned like unto the image of his son. God's will for your life is that you be fashioned like unto the image of Jesus. That's his will for your life. I, I think it's amazing as you look at the Gospels and see how Jesus lived on the earth. It's amazing. He never was afraid. He never lacked. Right? He knew his father intimately all the time. His father told him what to do, showed him what to do, told him what to say, and he always, always had the right words in due season. He lived, he literally lived with his father, who his father was being shown out of his life. You and I, God's will for your life, is who he's made you already on the inside. He wants that to show out on the outside. And it'll look a lot like Jesus. You'll love unconditionally. Be fearless. Walk in provision. Never be concerned about things and walk out and fulfill the plan that God has for your life. That's what he's talking about here. It says this, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, talking about Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So now jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 18. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 17. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That means there is freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. Did you feel that in worship today? I mean, you could sense it. Wherever he is, there's freedom. Well, let me ask you a question. As a born-again believer, is there anywhere that you ever go that the Spirit of God is not? So that means there's freedom for you everywhere. All day, all night, every day, all the time. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter what the world tries to do, the circumstances of life, the enemy coming to try to steal, kill, and destroy. He can't if you understand, wait a minute, how do we know we're free? Well, 
John chapter 8, verse 36 says, Whoever the Son has made free is indeed free. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Don't let anything bind you. Don't let your past mistakes bind you. Don't let what people say about you bind you. Don't let maybe the circumstances that are in your life right now bind you because you've already been made free. Hallelujah. It says this. Now it, it tells us a little bit about this. In Romans 8, 29, it says, God's will is that you be fashioned like unto the image, the very resemblance, the, the very representation of Jesus. And now, verse 18 here will give us a little picture how that happens. It says, but we all, with an open face, that means an unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, that Greek word for glass is mirror, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So what is he talking about? What is our mirror? If you want to see who you are, you have to look in the mirror. And here's the mirror. It's the word of God. And the Bible says here, it says if we, is with an unveiled face, well, it's unveiled, why? Because we have the Holy Spirit, the teacher on the inside of us. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We gain revelation knowledge of who he is. And as we see who he is, the Bible says we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now this word changed is real interesting. In Romans 12.1, it's translated transformed. The Bible says, present your body a living holy sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service. And then it says this, and don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. It's the same word. It's the Greek word metamorpho that is here translated changed. Now there's another spot when Jesus took a couple of his disciples few of his disciples, they go up to Mount Tabor, and all of a sudden, here's God the Father speaking. There's Moses and Elijah, and the Bible says that Jesus shone brighter than the sun. So he was, and, and the Bible uses the word, he was transfigured. What was on the inside showed on the outside. That's the same Greek word, metamorpho. The Holy Spirit's job in your life is to pull on the outside who you are, who you have been made in Christ on the inside. Because see, we don't have the fullness of salvation yet. I still have a sin nature in my flesh. Now someday, when I, when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to be changed. Whether in the rapture of the church I'm changed, whether I pass, when I pass from this world and I step out of my body, someday I'm going to be given the same body, but it's going to be glorified and now it won't have the sin nature in it anymore. Right. Do you ever notice there's always something? Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7. The thing I don't want to do, I do. The thing I want to do, I don't do. You know, it's, it, there's a war going on. But my spirit man is perfect. Old things were passed away when I got saved. Everything became new, and it's all of God. So now, as I peer into the Word of God, as I put it first, as I meditate in it day and night, as I speak the Word, as I believe it in my heart, what happens now, I'm peering into it, 
And as I look, I see who Jesus is. And as I see who he is and how much he loves me and what he's given me and who I am in him, I'm changed into his same image. And I'm changed progressively from glory to glory. Well, who's the one who's doing all of it? By the Spirit of God. Isn't that good news? So this is how we walk this out. So now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll look at, we'll look at something there that'll help you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe it's verse 9, but let me just see. Yeah, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says this. Now this is why you have to be, you have to be conformed into the image of Jesus. You have to live out of your spirit because if you're not, you'll never be able to fulfill the plan of God for your life. You'll never even be able to know it. You'll always be guessing. So it says here, right here in verse 9, but as it is written, now he's going to quote Isaiah 64.4, but as it is written, I hath not seen. That means my natural eye has not seen this. Nor ear heard, my natural ear hasn't heard this. Neither have entered into the heart of man. This Greek word heart literally means your mind. Neither has it entered into your mind the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Your natural eye, your natural ear, your mind, you can't Figure it out. God's plan for your life is way beyond your natural thinking. I love Ephesians. It says, and my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or even think. But it's according to the power that works in you. This revelation of how much God loves you. But look at what it says. We can't stop there. This plan, though, it says right here, verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. God's revealed what? The things which he's prepared for you because you love him. The spirit of God reveals the things that God's given you. The things that God's... I love the Greek word because it literally it's prepared. Before you ever showed up, God prepared your life. He prepared it. Psalm 23 says, he's prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, well, where's that? The earth, right? I will fear no evil because he's with me. His rod, his staff, they comfort me, right? And then as I'm walking out this path, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And at the end of my life, what is going to all dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Isn't that good news? So this is what this is talking about. But his spirit, verse 10, but God hath revealed all these things unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Well, that's pretty easy because the Holy Spirit is God. Right? You have the three God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who are one. Figure that one out. 
right? How they work together is really interesting. God the Father, if you look Genesis to maps, God the Father comes up with the plan. Jesus carries out the plan. And the Holy Spirit reveals the plan. It's the way it always works. So this, the three in one, he's revealed these things to us by his spirit. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man, but the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit knows the plan that God has for your life. He knows all that God's prepared for you. He's in your future right now. He's not in time. You're in time. You haven't got there yet, but he's there. He knows everything you're going to face. He knows everything you're going to need, and he's already met it all. See, every one of you, every one of you have potential. What is potential? You know, you can read all these success books, but potential is hidden ability. Inside your spirit, there is hidden ability. Your potential to measure it, you'd have to measure God's potential because he doesn't call you according to your ability. He calls you according to his ability. We are not created to do anything by ourselves or for ourselves. God does not call you just to do natural things. He wants you to live the Zoe life of God, which means now all things are possible to me because I believe. That's Mark 9, 23. Philippians 4.13, it's, it's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So we have these things going on here. Look at verse 12. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but what spirit did we receive when we got born again? But the spirit which is of God. Well, why? That we may know. This word know means that we may perceive the things that are freely given to us of God. Isn't that good news? God put his spirit in you so that you can know him. And, and one of the aspects of knowing him is so that you can know what he's given you. Isn't that good news? You've been given everything. See, your potential, it's in your spirit Never let the world define your potential. As you walk out your potential, as you walk it out in this life, it will bring glory to God. It won't bring glory to you. It'll bring glory to God, which is our heart, right? So I want you to look at this. Go to Philippians chapter 4. We need to look at that scripture and just, just really, really look at it. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 13, I love this scripture. I can do all things through Christ, which what? Strengthens me. That means, he, the, the Greek word strengthen, it literally means he empowers me. I can do all things through Christ because he is empowering me. That, that Greek word also means he's, he enables me. I can do all things through Christ because of the enablement that I'm given to him, by him. He enables me to walk and be more than a conqueror. 
to walk fearless, to not walk by sight, but to walk by, by faith, to never be moved on the outside, to only be moved on the inside. I love that. This word literally means to be made strong. This is why in Ephesians 6, Paul says, finally, my brethren, that here's the most important thing. You be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That, that verse of scripture we, just, we also quoted, go back to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. We have a situation where a man um, has a lunatic son. He's vexed with a demon. And, you know, he, he comes to the disciples and they can't cast this demon out. We find out if you read the whole story that this comes out only by prayer and fasting. And if you don't study the word, you'll think that the demon's so strong you need to pray and fast so that you can cast him out. But that's really not right. No, what you see, the disciples leading up to them meeting this guy as they're walking around going, hey, who do you think's going to be the most important in heaven? I think I will be, Peter says. Well, maybe, well, no, I don't know. Maybe, you know, because we're really special. And Jesus is saying, man, you got to get over yourself if you're going to cast the demon out. So you're going to need to pray and fast to shut your flesh up and get your eyes back, not because the demon's so powerful, right? Because we can't cast out a demon in our ability, right? I've had a pastor just look at me astounded. This is years ago. He said, you mean to tell me you lay hands on people in a service for them to be healed? He's like, oh my gosh, what, what will people think if they don't get healed? I could never do that. And I'm like, well, well, first of all, this whole thing about laying hands on people, ministry, has nothing to do with me. I can't heal the wing of a gnat. That's right. But the Bible says if I lay hands on the sick, that God would heal them and raise them up. So, so I don't really think about, do you, do you see that? As I live my life, I am fully expecting God to move. If he doesn't move, I'm getting to the point now where, I, well, really, I'm there. I don't even want it to happen. If it's not him, I don't want it to happen. I don't really want anything that he doesn't give me. Because I've learned, there, I've done it that way. There's no life in that, right? So, so here's this guy, his, his, a demon's vexing this kid. So here's Jesus, he comes down. And the father's like, oh, Lord, if you can help me, please. And Jesus responds to him in Mark 9, 23. He throws the ball right. The, the father's going, if you can do something, Jesus throws the ball right back in his court and goes, if you can believe. Mark 9, 23. All things are possible to him that believes. See, we don't preach positive thinking because that's too low for a Christian. We think impossible thinking. Because, see, what, what looks possible on the outside is limited. The Bible says what's possible with God? All things. That means you mess stuff up and destroy it in your life. Thank God, God can bring it back to life. Hallelujah. Some of you are looking at me like, what in the world? 
No, I'm just teasing. Mark 9.23, never forget that. I love it. Mark 9.23. You know, I want to read this to you. We're going a little too fast. I need to slow down. I'm thinking of all the places I want to take you. Hallelujah. Let me read it. Let's start in verse 17. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. I love that because all of them are dumb. Personally, I think that anyway, right? We make fun of Satan around here. Although we, we make fun of him in this context, we are no match for him in our own ability. In our own intellect, no match for him. But in Christ, he's no match for us, right? So we, we want to keep that clear. It says here, And wheresoever he taketh him, he tears him, and he foams and gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away, and I spoke to your disciples and that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now that wasn't a true statement, because if you see, when Jesus sent him out, he gave him authority to do that. Verse 19, he answered him and saith, See, just like you have authority, but if you are in the wrong place, you can't walk in your authority. Does that make sense? So this is what was happening here. Verse 19, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how would you like to be his disciples? O faithless generation, thank you, Jesus. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, now this is interesting, and when he saw him, Straightway the spirit tore him and fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. This is just like Satan. So Jesus says, bring, bring the boy to me. And when, when they brought the boy to him, this demon saw Jesus and immediately does what he always does. He throws him on the ground. He's foaming at the mouth. He's wallowing around. Most people would go, ooh. Right? But not Jesus. Look, look at this story. And he asked the father. Jesus didn't even pay attention to this. Why? Because he knows he has authority. So I'm not going to even give any place to the devil. Won't he do that in your life? He'll yell. Circumstances will yell and scream. Thoughts will go in your mind and yell and scream at you. Give them no place. Give him no place. So Jesus, he asked the father, how long is, uh, is it ago since he came unto him? And he said, of a child. So this demon had been with him for a long time. And oftentimes it's cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, notice he, now look at his father's heart. If you can do anything, he doesn't know Jesus can at this point. If you can do anything, have compassion. I love that. Have mercy on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, he put it right back. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, if you read the rest of the story, the boy was delivered. So it's obvious that the man made a decision and said, yes, I believe. Jesus, I believe that you can help me. And the boy was delivered. You see faith right here. 
So now let's, let's bring this about a little bit more. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Hallelujah. I want to bring this full circle, and you have to know this truth about what we're talking about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, verse 14 says this, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor, or that, that Greek word means the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. We would call that the anointing. He always causes us to triumph. Now the cool word about triumph is, you know the triumph comes after the victory. He doesn't always cause us to be victorious, to have victory, because the victory, he already gave us that. But your father will always cause you to triumph. That's the party after the victory. And he always makes manifest. He brings a fragrance of the knowledge of him on the outside. Why? Because you're not here for you. You're here to show the world Jesus. You're not here to show the world religion. You're here to show the world Jesus. That's all about relationship. So this is a powerful statement. And he wants to make that fragrance manifest. It says it right here, in every place. Isn't that good news? Wow, that's good news. Well, I worked so hard on these notes, I guess I better get to some of them. Go in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk about that today. I hope that you see something today that helps you. You know what? Forget Galatians chapter 5. Go to Romans chapter 7. This is a fresh, this is, this is fresh bread today. So I'm still kind of working this whole deal out. So it's all good. But God is faithful. Romans chapter 7. You have a struggle that goes on in your body and in your life. And, and Romans chapter 7 exposes it. Paul is talking about the carnality. Carnality means your flesh ruled. He's talking about the carnality that he had to deal with when he got saved. He said this in Romans chapter 7, in verse 22. He said, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So he's saying, My spirit loves the word of God. But I see another law in my members, in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Can anybody say amen? I mean, we've all been there, right? But notice this law of sin it, it, it comes out of spiritual death that's in my flesh doesn't war against my spirit. It says it wars against the law of my mind. 
The law of my mind, the law of the mind says this, if you study it out, that as you put the word of God in your heart, what will come out of that is your behavior. Satan knows this. So what happens is your flesh is all that sin nature that's still in it is trying to pull your mind away from your spirit. That's what spiritual death does. Go, go to Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see this. I'll give you an example. We'll look right back when, when spiritual death came on the scene. When Adam and Eve died spiritually. I think it's Genesis. It might be chapter 2. I think it's chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, here is the key. It says the word knowledge. There was a tree. It was called the tree of the knowledge. This is real different than the tree of life. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the key is found in the word knowledge. That Hebrew word, I think it's damath or some, darat or something like that. It literally means knowledge gained by the senses. But of the tree of the knowledge which is gained by the senses of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. In the Hebrew language, in dying, thou shalt die. We know when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they died spiritually, but literally, although they were dead on the inside, they were walking dead people. They were separated from God. It, took, it literally took the curse of sin, spiritual death. It took 930 years to kill their body. But what happened is right here. When, when they died spiritually, now the light went out on the inside of them. They were no longer discerning everything from the inside. Now they can only gain knowledge through their senses. Their senses, our senses were never meant to lead us. God was to lead us by our spirit. Remember Romans? Remember 1 Corinthians? It's like the spirit of God reveals these things. So this is what happened. When spiritual death happened, spiritual death, literally now, they had to gain all their knowledge through their senses. Thus now, learning is born. Before that, Adam never learned. He discerned. God would bring animals to him and he would name all the animals. He didn't go to college. Does that make sense? Now, now, am I minimizing education? Absolutely not. We need education, right? Because, I mean, thank God that we, that we have it, but we are not as Christians to be bound or led by our senses because Satan, as we learn in Ephesians and throughout the New Testament, 
He throws thoughts at our mind to try to get our mind to side with our flesh so that we govern our life by what we see, by what we feel, right? And I got to tell you, we're not to do that. We're to govern our life by God's word. Because sometimes, have you ever noticed in the natural, you can get in a situation where it's over. It's impossible. You've been diagnosed with this, and we can tell where you are in this disease, and this is how long you will have to live. We have gained knowledge from our senses that tell us that. Is that real? Absolutely. But what supersedes that? Gee, truth, the truth of God's word, that I redeemed you from the curse of sickness and disease, the curse of poverty and lack, that I've redeemed you from spiritual death, because I was made a curse for you, Jesus says in Galatians chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 8, I bore your sickness and carried your pain, as it says in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, right? And with, your, with his stripes, I'm healed now. So there's healing provided, but it makes no sense to my mind. Because I'm hurting or financially. God calls me blessed. I mean, it's amazing. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. They're good plans. They're not evil. To give you an end of expectation. He said that to people who were in captivity. He called Joseph a prosperous man when he was in prison. See, the whole Bible, you can't go into a fiery furnace and come out alive, let alone not even smelling of smoke. Oh, that is, not in the natural, but... But those three Hebrew children knew what God said. That when you go through the fire, it won't kindle upon you. So that's why they're like, King, listen, you don't throw me in. Or if you throw me in, my God is able and he will deliver me. But if you don't, if you don't throw me in, I'm not bowing. Right? Daniel in the lion's den. Same thing. David and Goliath. David's running around, little worship leader with skinny jeans, you know, no offense, Mark. But, you know, he's running around going, hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He talked all about, he's like, tell me what I get if I take this guy out. Do you know one thing David never said about him was how big he was? Because when you walk by the faith of God, when you walk in the love of God, and you're led by the Spirit of God, there's a switch. You stop looking at what you're facing and comparing it to you, you compare what you're facing to him and what he said. And that's the difference. When you're not in faith, you're going to run around talking to everybody about your mountain. But when you're in faith, you're going to run around speaking to your mountain about your God. Right? This is the way that it works. So now let's jump back. Romans chapter 7. For I delight in the law of God after my inward man, Romans 7, 22. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man, this means O afflicted man that I am. Who, not what, but who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He gives the answer to that question. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Jesus Christ has delivered us from the body of this death, from being afflicted like this. You do not have to live and be dominated by your flesh anymore. It says, so then with the mind, I myself, this phrase in the Greek, I myself serve, it means I, the spirit man, myself yield my thoughts to the whole counsel of God. I, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul identified the sin nature in his flesh. He identified that the battleground is the mind. Whichever way, if, you're, if your mind sides with your spirit, now you're going to walk out of your spirit and you're going to have life and peace. It can't produce anything else. But if you allow the sin nature in your flesh, if you allow your mind to go with that nature, it's going to take you and you're going to walk out of your flesh and it can't produce anything but life. That means you'll never know God's plan for your life and you'll never be able to walk in the blessing of God. I'd love to tell you it's different, but it's not. And most Christians are living with so much inner turmoil because they're, they're living and they get this sense that there's something greater and they're bound by stuff. So inner turmoil produces interpersonal conflict. And then there's some that reach a point and they can handle that and then they just settle. But the settle's bad because they're meant to do something on this earth. And it's not just to live and have a secure retirement because I'm telling you, God has a plan for your life. Yes, he does. And that plan will give you a great life and it'll give you a very secure retirement. But you'll never stop being in full-time ministry until you leave, right? Not just the pastor. You know, some churches, they have pastors like they're little pets, you know, when they say jump, the pastor's to say how high. And when they say, you know, I want you to just forget your family and come over here at 3 o'clock in the morning because I'm upset. And I've taken 20 years to destroy my life and I want you to fix it in 10 minutes. You know, and some pastors pastor little churches and, and, uh, and the congregation every year will vote them in or vote them out. Wow. But that's not the way it is. That's right. My job is simply to love you with the love of God, it's not to tell you what to do. I'm up to here with me to keep myself, to keep this battle, to keep living out of my spirit. But the gifts inside of me will feed you so that you're equipped to go work out, to go out and walk out God's plan for your life. So, so we got to get this straight. Wherever your mind sides with, whatever you feed is what's going to be stronger. Paul found out that Jesus was the one that delivered him. And when he found that out, then chapter 8, verse 1, Paul completely changes now. And all he talks about is that God's will is that you dominate and walk in victory in every arena of your life. He changes. He's like, guys, I have figured this deal out. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2, he goes on and tells us, this is how you walk this out. You take your flesh and you present it a living and holy sacrifice. You'll know it's living because it hurts. And, you'll, and it tries to crawl off that altar all the time. But I want to be selfish. But I want, it's all about me. It's everybody else. Shut up. You gotta, you have to present it. It's a one-time decision that you walk out 24-7 for the rest of your life. I'd like to tell you that you can grow so much spiritually that your flesh will never give you a problem, but it's just not true. Your flesh doesn't grow. That's right. Now, it'll grow negatively because it's spiritually dead. Has that spiritual death nature in it. But you don't have to be dominated by that because here's the thing about your flesh. It will do what you tell it to do. And when you feed on the word of God and grow your spirit man up, now, your life is submitted. You're one with God. The Holy Spirit's leading and guiding your life. And when your flesh wants to do something, you just go, no, we're not doing that. When somebody slaps you on the cheek and there's 1,800 thoughts that fill your mind about crushing their face through a wall, right. out of your spirit just rises up this thing about, man, I wonder what's going on in their life. I need to love them. I need to bless them. And, and if they do me wrong, Father, I know I'm more than a victor. So, so forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Because now you start walking like Jesus. You start walking knowing that no man can ever stop you. Joshua 1.5. Isaiah 54.17. No weapon that's formed against you can prosper. I owe nobody anything but to love them. So you start to know that. And now, all of a sudden is what's on the inside, the love of God starts showing on the outside. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the first thing Paul says is there is therefore now. What now what? Now that I'm born again. Now that Jesus came out of the grave. Now there is therefore now no condemnation. This word condemnation means there is no penalty, there's no sentence, there is no verdict. It's already been passed. This word condemnation in the Greek means that a sentence has been passed. A judgment has been made. It's a once and for all thing. And it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation to who? To them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, this, now the King James translators through this in, all, all of now, 2,000 years, we have the sound manuscripts that back up and back up and back up and back up that show us they added this. They saw it in verse 4, and they thought, well, for us not to be condemned, well, we've got to do something. It's works mentality. A translation's as good as the, the translator's language they got to know the language, but they also, what they know about God. And this statement is not here in verse 1. It's only found in verse 4. And it makes no sense in verse 1. Because to understand the Pauline revelation in its entirety, to understand really the New Testament, you have to understand what happened to you in salvation. You have to understand there's positional truth and temporal truth. Positionally, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Temporally, I may or may not walk that out in my behavior. 
But it doesn't change the fact that I'm a child of God made the righteousness of God. Another one example, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's positionally. It's not temporally because temporally I'm standing here at Faith Family Church teaching you. So if you don't understand this, you'll read the New Testament and you'll think you're saved one minute. You're not saved the next minute. See, so there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, anytime you see that, that's positional truth. It makes no sense when you define positional truth by temporal truth. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's not there. It makes no sense. Because you read that, you're like, okay, so I'm walking in my flesh. I know I am, so I must not. So now I am condemning myself. And now that violates the whole word. The whole Pauline revelation is, if you don't know who you've been made, you'll never be able to walk free from sin. And the enemy will beat you up your whole life. This is saying that the law of sin and death could never be broken by behavior. It had to be broken by Jesus. This whole thing is not about you. It's about him. Positional truth versus temporal truth. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there because we're kind of coming to the end here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. So when I got saved, when I said, Jesus, you're my Lord... The Holy Spirit of God came into my body, took out the spirit man that was dead and separated from him, and that man is gone forever and put a brand new spirit in me. I'm a new species, a new creature. That, word's, that word literally means an original form. Now the Gallup organization has literally figured out and proven that there has never been, there can't be two people who've ever lived that, have the same, that are the same. You're one of a kind. God broke the mold. It literally means a new species, one who's never existed before. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, what old things? The sin nature in my flesh, or the sin nature in my spirit, that spiritually dead spirit. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. New where? New on the inside. Did you notice when you accepted Christ, you didn't? I mean, I'd love it. Could you imagine you accept Christ and all of a sudden, man, you lose all that excess weight? Right? All Any scars, wrinkles, or just, no, it, that's not what happened, is it? Nope, you still look the same on the inside or on the outside. But the inside completely changed. Positionally, in other words, everything changed for you. Your old position of man's spirit completely changed. So now look at Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, you can say, in a nutshell, the law of the spirit of life is salvation. What is that? The Holy Spirit now dwells in me, has made me free from the law of sin and death. The fact that the Holy Spirit came in, put a brand new spirit in me, the Holy Spirit came and now dwells in me. He will be in there forever. 
And then Romans 5, 5, he shed the love of God abroad in my heart. So my spirit man is saturated with the love of God. So now it enables me to have revelation knowledge of how much he loves me and it empowers me to walk in his love. So I walk in the love of God. I live by the faith of God now. And I'm led by the Spirit of God who dwells within me. That's every believer. You know, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, 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 uh, it's, you have to have it. It's subsequent to salvation. And when I grew up as a Baptist boy, people would say, oh, you, you, know, you need the Holy Spirit. you got to be filled with the Spirit. I'd be like, well, I am. And it used to kind of tick me off because I'm like, wait a minute, no. I, I am filled with the Spirit. He's on the inside of me. I'm saved. I didn't realize there was something else. But I have the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. And if you study the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it talks about the baptism as a river. Rivers flowing out from you to, to touch other people. It talks, it, it talks about salvation as a well every time. Well, I have the well, the Holy Spirit's in me, but I need the rivers too. I need the power. But the Holy Spirit, when it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, doesn't talk about him coming on the inside of me. It, comes, it talks about him coming upon me. And then he says, be being filled, which it tells me it's not a one-time event. It's a one-time event that I walk out my whole life. And so I be being filled. I say it like this. The Holy Spirit, when, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's like it becomes this little river. And then as you, as you keep be being filled, it becomes a, a larger river. And then it becomes a mighty roaring river. And eventually it just becomes a mighty roaring ocean. It just, it literally grows. It, what, why do you need it? Well, because it empowers you to be a witness in the earth. So important. But the Holy Spirit's in you. You're new. As a born-again believer, you have this. And you, because he's in you, you are now free from the law of sin and death that is in your flesh. The law that brought me into salvation makes me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation for me now because the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside of me. John 17.3 says this. It defines salvation. John 17.3 says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing him. Now that I have his spirit on the inside, I can know him. He put a brand new spirit in me. He put the Holy Spirit in me. He gave me his word. Everything God has done for me is so that I could have eternal life, which is knowing him. Or in other words, he did everything for me so that I could know him. Salvation. See, prosperity message. Oh man, I just need more money. I, I want to drive a nice 7 Series BMW. Or, no, no, that's not prosperity. Come on, you could have that and be miserable and miss God's whole plan for your life. Right. Prosperity is who we have. The There's never a need that could ever come in my life that he won't meet because I have him. See, he's my deliverer. He's my life. And he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. 
So this is all about a relationship. So chapter 8 is the victory chapter, and it's all about this fact. The Holy Spirit is in you. 1 John 4, 4, I love this scripture. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So this is good news, isn't it? Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Why was the law weak through the flesh? Because the law, you couldn't keep it. The whole law was given to show man that they needed a Messiah. Because this is the way the law was. The law said this, you can keep everything your whole life. And if at the end of your life you violate one little thing, you're guilty of the whole law. It was impossible. I'm so glad I wasn't in the ministry back then and was a Jew. Hi, congratulations, you're a new priest uh, you get to slit the bull's throats every day, all day. Wow. Their nicknames probably were red. You'll get that in a little bit. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God, now this is the cool thing, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, in the likeness of it, that means he had a body we're, we're celebrating Jesus now, 2,000 years ago, was getting ready to go to the cross. And guess what? He had no sin. There was no sin nature in his flesh. Why? Because he was born of a virgin. The fetus gets its blood from the father. Jesus didn't have the blood of Joseph. He had the blood of his father, God. So he was the sinless sacrifice. He looked like a man. The likeness of sinful flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And it says, and for sin. In the literal Greek, it literally reads, as a substitute for sin, condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. That's what happened. Condemned it. And notice he said, condemned sin. Which means... That's the sin nature. See, the problem with man was not that he was a sinner. The problem was that he was spiritually dead, and that's why he sinned. Paul is showing us you now, positionally, were crucified with Christ. You were buried with him. You were raised to newness of life. You're now seated with him in heavenly places. And now, as you reckon that to be true in your life and believe it, you will realize that sin is not to dominate you anymore. Isn't that good news? Condemnation is on sin. Once we receive salvation, there's no more condemnation. Even if we allow our sin nature to dominate us, there's still no more condemnation. Now, it'll feel like there's condemnation because your own spirit will convict you. It doesn't like what you're doing. But if you ever grow up and get in the Word and get planted in a good place and get around the right people, you can walk free from it. 
But if you mess up, it's great. You got this thing called 1 John 1, 9. Go to 1 John 1, 9. We'll just kind of, we'll end with this one, I think. Well, I do want to read verse 4 of Romans, but go to 1 John 1, 9. So what happens for a Christian? Paul said two times in one chapter, when I sin, it's not really I, it's the sin nature that's in my flesh. It says in other places that our spirit man can't sin. So when we sin, we allow our mind to side with the sin nature and we allow it to happen. So when that happens, relationship is not broken. You're not saved and then not saved and then saved and then not saved. Right? Like right now, Sarah and Eric and their family, we, they live here in Omaha. They live with us. So we're in fellowship a lot. We might be in fellowship a lot more than they want. I don't know. Jeanette and I are loving it. But, but here in June, they're going to move to Miami. <laughs> you just spoke what was in my heart. But it's, all, it's a God thing, so it's all good. We're really happy. But so, so relationship will not be broken. But guess what? Fellowship, we'll have, to, we'll have to decide to fellowship, right? Thank goodness for FaceTime and all that stuff. And, and oh, I got to become a Florida person. Wow. That's not the Pacific Ocean, but there'll be a grace. There'll be a grace. But, but see, when you, when you allow sin to operate, your relationship with God doesn't change. He's not condemning you, but your fellowship with him is broken. He doesn't fellowship with darkness or sin. So he gave you 1 John 1, 9. In 1 John 1, 9, and, and you know, there's a teaching out there that says this wasn't written to the church. That you don't really have to confess our sins. I, I have, I've heard this preached. It's ridiculous. And it robs Christians. God gave us 1 John 1, 9 so that we can, if we break fellowship, we can go right back into fellowship with our Father. He's not condemning us for our sin because we didn't sin. We allowed the sin nature in our flesh to operate. So he says here, you don't even have to go any deeper than the first two words to know this was written to the church. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if, here's John, the great apostle, who was born again for years and years and years by the time he wrote this. He said, if we, he included himself, confess our sins. What do you mean? Confess, it's the Greek word homo logeo. It means if you will say the same thing that God says about this sin. So what do you have to say? Father, I come to you today and I, 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 I allowed my sin nature and my flesh to operate and I told a lie. And I call that sin. There's no excuse for it. I chose it. But Father, I'm confessing my sin now. You condemned that sin 2,000 years ago in the body of Jesus. And by, by his redemption, I've been made free from it. So now I confess this sin before you. And I thank you, Father, that you're faithful and you're just. That means he has a legal right to forgive me for all of my sins. And, and I thank you for cleansing me from all unrighteousness. 
It doesn't say all my unrighteousness. It says all unrighteousness. Unrighteous what? Not unrighteous nature. I'm still righteous. He cleanses me from the unrighteous behavior. And when he washes all that off, guess what happens? What's left is there's just righteousness. And now I come back in the fellowship with him. And now this is what we, we, this is a prayer that you pray anytime you need to. And as you grow in the Lord, you won't have to pray that prayer very often. Doing this verse cleanses the righteous person from their unrighteous actions. And this keeps us in fellowship with him. Relationship was never broken. So what this is telling us is that the same blood that made us a part of the family of God and wiped out sin forever on our behalf causes the righteous one to be cleansed from unrighteous action. That's all it is. The Bible, once again, is making a distinction between who you are and what you've done. You are not what you've done. You just need to grow up. And now I'm going to finish with this, Romans 8, 4. It says this, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice it says might. The reason why it says might is because we have to decide. Might be fulfilled in us, and now here it is, and this is where it should be, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The purpose of, this, of the law was to reveal sin. The righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in us in our earthly walk if we choose to walk out of our spirit. That's all that this is saying. You choose to allow your mind to side with your spirit, and that's how righteousness is fulfilled in you. So we're talking about victory. Guys, as a pastor, I could tell you this. There's so much inner turmoil in the lives of Christians because they haven't gained revelation knowledge of who they are in Christ. Messages like this are uh, not in the playbook to build a big church. But hide and watch because I believe it builds a great church. The word of God is life. You need to know that the blessings of God are yours because of Jesus. And you can walk free from anything that you're allowing in your life right now by simply starting to live out of your spirit. So I would encourage you to do that. And I'll tell you, it's easy to do when you get around other people who will love you unconditionally, where you don't have to, I'm so glad we don't play church here. You know, people come into a church and they wear a mask and they're a little afraid. But you know, in worship, what happens is the presence of God comes, the anointing comes, and his unconditional love for them comes. He sees everything and it enables people to take off that mask and, and go, you know, God, man, I, I feel like such a mess, but I know you love me. That's right. And that's true. Don't let the enemy lie to you. God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. He condemned all your sin in the body of Jesus 2,000 years ago before you ever even committed it. And it all took place for you the moment you said, Jesus, you are my Lord. I give you my life. 
Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people don't go to hell. Right? You got to be born again. You got to be identified with Jesus. If you choose to live your own life, everybody thinks they're living their own life. I, I don't want to receive Christ. You know, I, I want to live my own life. You're not living your own life. The Bible says you're completely in bondage to the enemy. And if you don't give him your life, you're going to be lost for eternity. And it was never God's plan. Today is the day of salvation. You know, for us to walk in our salvation who know the Lord, for those that don't know the Lord to realize that Jesus came looking for you. He, he died in your place. It's all paid. And what he wants you, he can't violate your will, but he's saying, come to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I'll cleanse you. I'll make you new. And I'll walk with you throughout your whole life.